As a child, Ron Elliott was a lover of comic books. He bought them, he sold them, he read them. He loved comic books. Comic books truly introduced Ron to the world of fantasy and stretched his imagination. While he was an elementary school student, Ron wrote, produced, and directed his first play. His teacher was thoroughly impressed. This was the beginning of Ron Elliott, the storyteller. The seed was planted. Ron was in love with telling his own stories. The realm of possibility, however, was taken to another level once Ron experienced his first Star Wars film. That was it for him. He knew what his passion was. As a young man, Ron opted to join the military. Even while in the Middle East, fighting for his country in Desert Storm, Ron thought about a career in the entertainment industry once he returned to the United States. He kept that promise to himself. Upon his return, he tried his hand at music production. He observed his friend's success in the industry and was determined to produce beats as good as or even better. He admits it didn't quite turn out the way he planned. Although he decided against being a music producer, Ron landed a job at storied record label Def Jam Recordings in the promotions department. It is there that Ron sharpened his skills in marketing, among other things. Ron moved up the ranks, and through Def Jam, he was introduced to the world of music videos. Music videos were just mini-movies. The sets, the costumes, the ideas, the scripts, all resurrected that little boy who had dreams of writing. Ron used the opportunity to work and learn from the likes of legendary directors like Hype Williams and Benny Boom. Life's journey would take Ron to BET, MTV, Tempo, NBC, and a bevy of other networks. He became one of the most sought-after post-production specialists in the industry, known for his accuracy in speed in editing. But Ron was not done. He started to write, direct, and shoot his own films. He had reached his childhood dream. Today, Ron stands on several awards and has no plans of slowing down. His films have been screened at major film festivals and are available on digital platforms. Ron Elliott, that little boy with exceptional writing ability, is now Ron Elliott, the master storyteller. But wait until you hear what he has planned next. This is the story, thus far, of Ron Elliott. I am Crispin Brooks, and this is Planet 30. Ron Elliott, welcome to Planet 30. Awesome, man. Thanks for having me. Pleasure, pleasure, pleasure. Now, you're a filmmaker... You're a storyteller, you're a writer, you're a lot of things. Take us to the beginning. What prompted you to become a storyteller, or more specifically, a filmmaker? Oh, man, that's a long story there. Um, I started off uh, as a child um, reading a lot of comic books. I was a big, big, big comic book uh, fan. I mean, you know, I, I, was, I grew up in a time when it was actually a comic book store, so you could actually go to the comic book store and... Uh, pick out your comic books, you know, so I was a big comic book uh, uh, reader, I used to collect them, I used to sell them, I used to 
part of the shows. So I was really big into comic books, so, which then entailed uh, for me to kind of like develop uh, my creativity into storytelling and, and you know, uh, that kind of thing. And then it was into uh, when I went to the movies for the first time and saw, uh, I saw Star Wars, and that was it for me. But, you know, I grew up uh, in a Caribbean household, Jamaican mother, and uh, being that was not uh, part of the, uh, the plan. So <laughs> I had to dash had to dash that really quick. But uh, funny thing is, I was uh, I was uh, labeled as a as a kid as a gifted child, and they wanted to put me into a uh, school to uh, to, uh, to kind of like uh, enable and to harness my uh, my talents. And my mother didn't want me to do it, and so I gave that up. And so fast forward years later, um, when I got out of the military. I decided to pick, I picked it, I picked back, I picked back up the, uh, the passion for it after, um, a, I was working at this company as a salesman and, uh, a friend of mine, uh, a friend of mine who worked there, he was telling me that, uh, he, uh, he worked in the music, he was doing, he was doing work in the music business and he, uh, actually worked on a song that was on a radio plane and I just could not believe it. I was like, he's lying. And then it just, it just really, for some reason, it sparked something inside of me to say, I need to pick up uh, my passion back because if this guy can do it, I know I can do it. And I've always been that way. I've always been the type of person, if somebody else could do it, I know I could do it because I believe we all have the same mind, same abilities. It's just a matter of opportunity and drive and ambition whether you want to do it or not. And I decided I want, it's time for me to do it. I want to do it. And, and, uh, it's been a mission from that point to continue on and, uh, into doing what I do now. Um, which, um, you know, as, as, as a fast forward or kind of like condensed version of it, you know, I, I got an internship working for Hyde Williams. Uh, actually I got an internship working for, uh, for Def Jam. And I decided I didn't want to do music because I didn't, I, I really didn't gel with me. And then uh, it wasn't when I got, I, then I switched over and got a fortune enough to get an internship with uh, Hype Williams. And then that was uh, really what set it off for me. And that kind of opened the door for me to really see the possibilities. Um, uh, I saw, uh, uh, and then Spike Lee, I work with, I saw Spike Lee filming, um, I think it was, I think it was the, uh, not, not, um, do the right thing, but he was scared to do the right thing, but it was, he was doing the music video, uh, for, uh, Public, do the right thing. Public Enemy? Public Enemy. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. And, um, and it was that, when I saw him, then I really knew, I said, okay, and that was before I got the internship. And so when I saw him, then I knew I could do this. Awesome. So, back, going back a little bit, I found out about a little uh, play that you did in elementary school. <laughs> did that have any bearing on your uh, yeah thrust into the, the story? <laughs> yeah, that, that was uh, how I got identified as a as a as a, as a as a as a as a as a student with talent. And that was uh, that was when uh, the teacher wanted to recommend me to go into a special school because I wrote the play, I wrote it, I, sh- uh, I directed it, and I did the props. 
and uh, it was it came off pretty well. People really enjoyed it, and uh, and it was the first time he doing anything like that. What would you What would you say to parents? Um, you mentioned that, and we all know it so well. In a Caribbean household, there was a time, and it probably still is, in some households, where the arts just was not an option. We I don't care if you're talented; you're not going to do that. What would you say to parents nowadays who have kids that are so inclined or, or that have a passion for the arts? Well, you know, my daughter is, uh, is, is I think my daughter has a very uh, special talent to do it, talent to do that, um, to be a writer and to be a filmmaker as well. But the thing about being in this business is that, uh, you know, you have to have some heavy resources for people to to help you until you until you break in unless you married into or you have family members that can get you work because a lot of times it's, it's some long long roads of no work it's just you know going from fast to famine so you have to have family resources that can be able to sustain you and help you through those challenging times and so with that being said our communities, we don't have those kind of resources. We barely have, you know, the opportunities to uh, keep food on the table. So, you know, it's a tricky thing. I always say, you know, you know, we all we all come to this earth with talent, and uh, it's up to us to find our talents. You know, and uh, it is our talent that opened the doors for us to 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 sit amongst um, kings and queens. So. You know, it's, it's really, I, I believe that it's your talent, not your jobs. And so, the, but the problem is that, you know, we've, we've come through, we've, the problem is we've, we've come from a society and from our upbringing that we've been so downtrodden and taken advantage of and opportunities are so scarce to us that are, it's scary for a lot of people to say, hey, you know, you could do it, your talent, that's your talent, and, you know, go for it. And, you know, it's, yeah. hard, it's a hard thing to say. It's a hard thing to say, but you just have to uh, believe in yourself, and you have to believe in that, uh, that there's that God-given talent. Everybody can't, everybody can't do it. You know, that's the other thing. You got to make sure that you know that this is your talent. And I, I knew that when I first started going into this, I wanted to be like Puffy. I thought I could do music, so I went out and bought. <laughs> I went out and bought a keyboard. I bought. I, I bought the, uh, the the computer. I bought everything to do to do beats. And uh, I don't even know how I got the money to to get that to get it. And um, I did. I never forget. I did. It took me a week to do a track, and I thought the track was freaking dope. And then I invited some of my friends over so they could listen. And then I had a friend of mine. This dude was nice. He said, that was pretty cool, man. He didn't diss me or anything. He said, that's pretty cool. And then he jumped on. He said, All right, can I try it? He jumped on. Not even 10 minutes did a beat that was way better than mine. And I said, nah, this ain't for me. Like, this lets me further know. All right, now, this ain't, this ain't really my talent. I sold everything. I said, this ain't it. But I kept at it because I knew that I wanted to be I knew it was entertainment, but there was there's so many different job fields in this business, you know. And then I went from that to doing like 3D animation and graphics, 
I did that for a while. I was pretty good at that. I, I, you know, I, I did. I actually was very good at that. And then I just one day got impatient, and then I started to. Uh, I started to understand and see the other opportunities for the other jobs that are out there. I was editing, cinematography, directing, writing, and um, I just you know immersed myself in those things, and I, I found my way. So did you? Did and, you, you know, even today, I'm still finding my way. Did you go back to school for this, or was it kind of like trial by fire? It initially started off trial by fire, and then when I decided that, okay, this is it, I, when I decided that I wanted to do, when I, when I decided I didn't want to do music anymore, actually, when I decided I wanted to do music, yeah, when I decided to do music, I went to uh, Institute of Audio Research, which was down in the, in the village, and I started to take classes there. And uh, this is during the time when, you know, I started to buy equipment. And then after what I decided that I didn't want to do anymore. And now, and I also, I was working, I was interning at Def Jam. And then I decided I didn't want to do music at all. And so uh, that, and I went into film and I, I was transferred into uh, NYU. And I started taking classes at NYU. And, um, and then when I was at NYU, um, things really took off for me and I started getting a lot of work and I got really busy and then I dropped out of uh, NY. I never finished it. I did like two years and didn't finish. And then uh, now, uh, yeah, I didn't finish NYU. When you were at Def Jam, were you in, in music production or were you what, what department were you in? I was in, uh, I was doing the uh, uh, production. I was in, uh, not production, I was in, uh, uh, what's the name of the uh, promotions? I was in the promotions department. Okay, so well, who were some of the artists that you worked with at the time? Who who was hot at uh, that time? They had uh, they had Method Man was there, Jay Z was there, uh, uh, Jay Z just started there, um, LL was there, um, who else was there? Um, DMX was there, Buster was there. The Buster was under a violator. Violator shared the same office. Chris Lighty was in that same office. And um, so Buster was there. So they had a, they had a lot of people coming in and out of there. That was a cool thing about working here. I got to meet a lot of these guys. Um, got to be pretty cool with a lot of them. I went to a lot of cool parties. But uh, it just wasn't for me. I just didn't, uh, didn't really like it. Mm-hmm. And so you mentioned you, you go on from Def Jam uh in in marketing promotions and well, well let me ask you this let me pause and ask you this what is the difference between the music industry and the film industry well in a broad sense you know they're both they're both they're both businesses you know they're both entertainment businesses i think um i think from my experience um i have to say that uh the film industry when I when I was in it, when I first started being in it, um, it was a little bit more uh, organized, and the integrity was a little bit higher than the music business. Um, now, right now, it seems like a lot of people from the music business are coming into the film business, and so uh, it really depends on what side of the film business you come in. Are you working? If you work in commercials, commercials are very structured and uh, very. Uh, um, um, very structured, uh, with not so much wiggle room to uh, indecisiveness or or anything like that. And same thing with uh with feature films and 
But it's when you, uh, music videos are, you know, essentially music business stuff. So that, you know, those two kind of like go hand in hand. So, um, when you, uh, when you're doing, uh, uh, when you go from a music video to doing anything else in the film business, it's a totally different work ethic, different vibe and everything. So there are definitely, um, a, a, there are definitely uh, a, a sharp contrast between working on a music video. That depends if you're working on a huge music video um, budget. I worked on some really big music videos and budgets were like a couple of million dollars and those operated like a commercial. So mm. Now you mentioned uh, working with, with Hype Williams and I know that you're, you're also friends with um, Little X. What was that experience like? Uh, what did you learn from from those masters? Oh, Hype is dope, man. Hype is... I never really got to work with Hype a lot because um, he was always trying. I worked in the office. Um, I did go on set a few times. I was on set for the Janet Jackson video with Bustin' Rhymes. That was an awesome Ooh, experience. That was a major, um, major, major production. Yeah, I went to the... I went to the... I went to the... Uh, the opening night uh, of uh, Belly. That was a freaking eye-opening event. Um, How so? I mean, it was dope. That screening was awesome, man. I mean, just that that, that auditorium was full with the woo of, of rap and hip-hop and, uh, and uh, R&B. Everybody was in that uh, auditorium. That thing was that, that thing was awesome. The after party, it was really dope. That's one thing. That was one night I will never forget. Mm -hmm. Um, um, the hype is, I mean, the guy's, uh, his, his composition and his color is unlike anyone, man. The guy really, I, I think he was the king of, uh, music videos. I agree. He was, he was definitely, uh, uh, unbelievable and really, really cool guy too. Really, really cool guy. So I didn't really get to really work with him a lot. I, I was able to talk to him a few times and work with him a few times, but I was, I actually worked with Lil X quite a bit. Um, we worked we worked together quite a bit and hung out a little bit, um, and then uh, you know I started doing my own thing and then we kind of like parted ways. So I haven't worked with him in some years, but uh, at the time when I was working there, we were pretty cool, pretty close. I was pretty cool and close with uh, with, with Benny Boom too. Um, There's another music video director out of there. Yeah, you definitely work with the with the who's who of of directors in in hip hop. Yeah, yeah. So you you go from the music business, which you you said no, not for me, uh, a little further into film with music video, and then you start working at a post production house, and you said that was a totally eye opening experience again, working at the post production house. Tell oh, us about yeah, that. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. So I worked at Do Art uh, Video, and that is I I believe that is the oldest post production house in. East Coast, I think um, I want to say they are. If not, they're one of the one of the closest ones too. But they they're uh, a post house that's been around since the beginning of the century, like nineteen twenty something like that. And for and the they, and, and for those that, that that don't know, explain what a post production house is. Oh, so post production house is uh, where after a film is, is is filmed, that's called production. So after the production is over. It goes to post production where you do color correction, you do uh, editing, you do visual effects, you do sound mixing, 
you do like everything that it needed to complete and deliver the film to its intended uh, place, whether it's TV, uh, theatrical, uh, or whatever format, it, it, that's where that happens at. And it's a, it's a very technical place uh, to be at. And uh, I've, I've worked at that place, and I and I tell you, I, I think that was the biggest education I had because I learned every single thing there is about film in that place. Um, I've learned, and I I went up the ranks pretty quickly there because I just immersed myself. I really loved working there. It was really a great opportunity. I got to learn. I learned everything about post production, and I that is one of the uh, one of my strengths that I have <laughs> is that I'm very very versed in post production. And that's an area that a lot of uh, a lot of our folks are not don't have access to or even are able to work in. There's very few minorities in that in that field. Very very even today, very few people uh, are working in that field, and that's a very big field uh, with lots of opportunities and, and lots of technical uh, know-how in that. Now, at that production house, you um, you were able to, to see work by. Some of New York's best. Uh, who were some of the filmmakers that would um, come through? Uh, that was that everyone came through was New York. So yeah, Woody Allen went there a lot. Danny DeVito, Scorsese went there a few times. Um, who else was there? Uh, I know. I remember we were doing the test for uh, for uh, when they were developing HD. They were still trying to figure out the formats, and we were doing a lot of tests there. So a lot of the major filmmakers and people who used to come through and look at it and test it out. I, Spike Lee did a lot of stuff there. Um, Ava Farrah did a lot of stuff there. I worked on a couple of stuff with him. Ang Lee did some stuff there. M. Night Shalon did stuff there because he went to NYU. So I remember him um, bringing his stuff there. Who else? Uh, there was a lot of people, man. So you you were able to to be inspired by 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 many of the top top brass, I guess. Oh yeah, oh yeah, a lot of them. Tell us about your them. um, tell us about your days at MTV VH1. I know you you mentioned that you started doing documentaries. I think. No, I started doing graphics. I did some graphics for VH1. Um, that's when I, I did a lot of freelance work with them, doing graphics and editing. Um. And then I did, I did, I did do a documentary. Um, I did, did, I did quite a bit of documentaries too. So, but, um, I did, I did a lot of freelance, um, editing work for, uh, uh, VH1, MTV, um, NBC, uh, and a couple of boutique houses in New York. And that was largely because of your post-production experience. What, let, let me ask you this. What are some of the strengths that, um, I know you you mentioned in a broad sense that you have a lot of experience in post production and that is a, a huge advantage for you. But what are some of the things that persons, you know, especially up aspiring filmmakers, can work on in the post production world to make them more marketable? Well, I would strongly suggest there's a huge opportunity for, for color correcting. Color correction. I mean, there's 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 color correcting. Um, there's also uh, uh, um, editors, um, there's, there's a huge field for editors, especially good editors. There's a hard, there's a lot of editors out there, but it's very hard to find a good editor. You also have sound mixers, sound design, um, 
that's another. It's a, I mean, there's so many engineers. There's a lot of engineers. You have to have an engineer to run to make sure everything is working right. In case the machines go down. Uh, you also uh, tape ops. I mean, right now they're going away from tape, but there's also you know, and 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 uh, there's still uh, you still need people for doing QAs, uh, making sure that you know this stuff is everything is uh, up to up to specifications, up to specs for uh, for delivery for uh, TV and for film. So I mean, there's 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 uh, quite a bit that you could just hone in and really learn. I really think you know. As a, I, I really think there's not that many um, colorists and, and editors. Mm. I mean, those two right there. I mean, I when I started to where I, where I am now, there's still I I probably think that that field has probably increased maybe ten percent. You know, I I think there's more people going in the production side, as far as like you know trying to be cinematographers, camera operators, directors. Producers, there's a lot of people going trying to do that, um, which is fine. Uh, there's a great opportunity here too, but I, I think that there's a large opportunity in Pose. And I have to tell you, Pose is a very guarded uh, um, section of film. I know it took me a long time to get me a job, an entry level job. And a post, the only reason I got that job, and I tried every post, almost every post I was in New York. I even tried to get it as an internship for free, and I had a I had a job, you know, I had a regular job making pretty good money, so I I didn't mind working for free just to get my foot in the door so I could start moving up. I remember one time I asked to get an internship at one post office, and they told me there was a four year waiting list yeah. just to be an intern there. And I remember on one of those post houses I tried to get into, you know, they just flat out was like, nope. Like, you know, it's pretty much like your cousin or your uncle or somebody, you know, works there and they get you in there. And it was very guarded, very guarded uh, place to get in. Why is that, do you think? I mean, it's a, it's, it's a part of the film industry that's uh, pretty consistent work. Uh, it, is, it, is, it is like working at a regular job where most film production you know you go from from show to show when show's over your job's over but when post-production you have a sense of security because you go from you know you have multiple shows that you're working on and um the post house is, is potentially working with thousands and thousands and hundreds of different clients so there's a bit more security there um you don't make as much but you have you have a better security and then also it's highly technical too. So, um, you know, a lot of the people that get in there, they kind of like, uh, as in all film and entertainment business, they kind of will it down to their to their children or to their cousins or their family members. It kind of gets passed down to to those people, and that's how a lot of people get jobs in these places. Grandfathered in. Exactly. Aha! 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 So, Ron, after you, you, your days at doing freelance for MTV, VH1, etc., you land at a brand new channel called Tempo. <laughs> Tell us about Tempo. Oh, yeah, that was great. Um, I was pretty excited working for Tempo. Um, um, I really, 
was fascinated with the story of Frederick Morton. I mean, I originally st- I got there um, through a, a introduction of a friend of mine. We worked together a lot on a lot of different projects, and they needed some editors over there to help them with some TV shows. So I came in just to uh, work on one or two TV shows as freelance, and uh, it turned into me becoming supervising producer. Uh, I have to say, me and uh, Frederick and I uh, really hit it off pretty quickly. Um, I was just really impressed by him, and I still am impressed by him that the fact that he was able to buy that network from MTV. That is unheard of, and um, to this day, I think I, I believe he's the first and only person who ever did anything like that. And I, I just had the ultimate respect for him because I know how difficult it is you know, just to do any kind of business with, with those folks and to be and to, and to navigate such a high level is uh, very impressive to me. I, I just had the ultimate respect for him. Um, and so I, I was very, I was very impressed and I was very eager to work for him um, just off of that because I, I just thought it was, I was part of something big, you know, I thought it was a really big opportunity. I thought it was a really good idea and I thought that, you know, the purpose of it was it was awesome, and I I want to be a part of something like that. And so you were able to travel the Caribbean. How was how was that different? Um, doing work in all these different islands as opposed to here on the mainland. <laughs> yeah, Caribbean people are different. I, I tell you, I I this is the first time I am from. I'm from born and raised in Brooklyn. My mother is Jamaican, but I have to say I've been to Jamaica only on vacation once or twice. Um, I did a couple of other period islands on just on vacation, but when I started working at Tempo, I went to these islands with a different lens. I was able to work with people, and uh, I mean, it was great. I really enjoyed working on different, different islands, working with different people, you know. Um, but I have to say, the, you know, some islands were better than some, some islands were worse than the others in terms of work terms of hiring people um but in terms of like uh, people being nice and people being complimentary and uh, the food uh, everyone of course the island was great but uh there were some islands that uh it was a little bit more difficult to get things done than some other islands mm. don't worry i won't ask you which ones <laughs> 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 Why did you um or what prompted you to, to, to make the decision, you know, coming off of tempo to finally say, Okay, that's it, I'm gonna do my own productions on a big scale. What was that catalyst? Um I, you know what it's funny, I've been trying to do I've written a couple of scripts and I I've I had relationships with like uh Idris, Elba. I I me and him became really good friends when he uh, just got off the wire, and so uh, I was working for Russell Simmons at the time, and so I, me and him were uh, always bumping and talking, and he was, he was supposed to do you know several projects together, which it never really happened because his schedule uh, never permitted it. But I've been trying to do um, feature films for a, a, for quite a bit, and the issue has always been uh, it's, it's expensive. And, you know, being able to get the money up and being able to get uh, the resources up is difficult. And so, um, you know, that's always been the hindrance for me. And so I decided 
uh, some point, I just decided I'm not waiting anymore. Uh, I'm just going to just do what I have and, and just figure it out. And so once I decided that, that's when things come to turn around for me. I mean, even to this day, uh, I, 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 I have not had a film that I had um, the ultimate budget that I wanted to have. I haven't had a film that I was able to really say that I, that was my my best work. You know, everything has been so far, um, I was able to pull it off. You know what I mean? And I think, uh, I think you know, I learned some ways of working as an independent filmmaker, um, but uh, I'm always sharpening my craft and I've really started to hone in on my on my storytelling capabilities. I really went into really heavy the last two years into really sharpening that, taking a lot of classes, reading a lot of books, and just sharpening that um, to the fullest because of my last film that I did, um, Dope Scene. That film did very well, surprisingly to me. I, I thought, you know, I, I wrote it pretty quickly and I didn't think it was gonna get the kind of response that it did. And, it, and just, when it got that kind of response, I knew that um, I was onto something. And, and the fact is that I knew that I didn't give it my 100%. And so that made me say that I would never do that again. I will always put my 100% into all everything that I do. And make it, not to just to do it just to get it out, but to do it to make sure that it's the best that I can possibly do with what I have. And so... You know, with that being said, the ones that I have, I have, a, I have a couple that I'm finishing up the scripts on, and I'm about to go into production with as soon as this COVID thing is over with. And uh, I'm looking forward to seeing uh, how they turn out. I know there are a lot of people who are already itching to be a part of it, and uh, I, I'm, I'm feeling really good about uh, what I have on the plate and what's to come. Let me ask you this though: you are a writer, director, producer, editor. Is there any particular job within the industry that you're the most passionate about? I have to say right now, and where I am right now, I have to say a writer, director, cinematographer. Those three things is, are the ones I really uh, want to focus on. And, and I, I'd have to say writing. Writing is... I'm a, I, I know how to draw and I know how to paint. So cinematography has always come very easy to me. Um... And I think that um, lighting and shadows is something that I'm pretty, I, you know, the more you do it, the better you get. But, I, but I'm pretty pretty confident with that. But when it comes to writing, writing is, uh, is a craft. And I've learned to really come to respect it. And there are so many different tools and ways of telling a story uh, that it is. And, and to be able to tell a story with your own voice is a crucial thing. You know what I mean? There, you know, how many times has Romeo and Juliet been told? It's been told thousands and thousands of times, but it hasn't been told through the lens of, of Ron Elliott. Right. So, you know, I have to get my, I've, I finally found my voice and the way that I want to deliver uh, my content and my stories. And that took a little bit of time to be able to know the mechanics of genre, the mechanics of story, the mechanics of, you know, uh, uh, TV and feature films with two different story platforms and so being able to know how to navigate between the two is it is a really gift. It is a huge gift. You know, writing dialogue, that is something that is uh, doesn't 
not easy to do. <laughs> Definitely. Now, tell us about the Lost Book of Rap. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's uh, that was uh, uh, that was one of my first projects I've done. The Lost Book of Rap. Um, that actually went to Cannes Film Festival. Um, that was uh, intended to be a short film, and it just turned into like this overwhelming response to film that got like all kinds of reviews and people just really were loving it. Um, a lot of rappers wanted to be a part of it. I mean, it is a family film. It is, it is basically uh, The Wizard of Oz meets The Goonies in 1988. Uh, so you have a young young girl aspiring to be a rapper and she uh, decides to, she goes outside and battles her nemesis, her childhood, and battles her nemesis and lose the rap battle. So uh, she goes outside and battles her nemesis and loses her father's prize goes gold cost chain in a in a battle and so she decides to find the lost book of rap which is which is hailed to be the holy grail of rap music so she has to find the book uh get a rematch and make it back home before her mother gets home for work so ron tell us tell us about some of the other projects that you've worked on particularly after the lost book of rap what were some of the other ones uh yeah man so i i i i i had several projects afterwards um, in different capacities. Um, I worked on a project called The Last American Guido, which is a, a romantic comedy about um, an, an Italian gentleman uh, living in Jersey who uh, who uh, essentially loses his mojo after the breakup of his girlfriend, and uh, he has to find his mojo back. And so I was the cinematographer and the producer on that, that was directed by uh, Vito, uh, Vito Labruno, uh, which is a uh, Jersey City police officer. And so uh, it, was a, it was actually a pretty good film. It, was, it won some festivals. Um, it, was, it was distributed uh, uh, throughout the... Uh, it's distributed throughout uh, certain parts of uh, Europe and, US, and the U.S. Um, and then after that, I worked on um, several other projects, uh, um, I worked on the um, another film called Respect the Jokes that actually should be coming out shortly. Uh, we shot some of it. We shot most of it in New York and then some parts in, in Jamaica. Um, that's a action. Uh, that's a coming of age story about a young man in, in Jamaica coming to the United States to find his way. Um, and then I worked on. Uh, I did a short film called Stay Cool. Um, uh, I worked on um, a couple of short films um, for me, for myself, and for other people. Um, and I worked on a documentary called Heart of the Shore, which is about uh, Jersey Shore, Sandy Hitton, Jersey Shore. Um, I worked on uh, several, uh, I would, I did, I did a lot of commercial work where I worked on um, different things for uh, uh, some ad agencies in New York. Um, I worked on um, some stuff for Coca-Cola. Um, okay, here's another one I did. I did another short film called Attempted Burglary. I, sh- I was a cinematographer on that. Um, and then I worked on another film called Zoo, uh, which I was a cinematographer on that one, too. Um, that was a, about a, uh, uh, based on a story of a, of a drug dealer in New Jersey, in Newark, New Jersey. 
and then um and then currently um and then after that i've been doing you know i took a little time off of doing um then i did then i jumped into dope scene and um in between there yeah, i took i've been working on a lot of commercial work uh for ad agencies i've worked on some stuff for the daily mail i worked on some stuff for uh um um nbc or uh, saturday night live uh, uh saturday night live yeah i worked on some stuff for them okay um different commercials um a lot of commercial work a lot of short commercials 30 seconds i did some uh commercials for like uh uh, uh different companies uh the medical commercials i did so uh, you know wide range of commercials throughout uh Throughout the, uh, the gamut of, uh, of, um, wow, I'm just went back. Sorry, <laughs> so I've done, I've done quite a bit of commercials, uh, in between that kind of took me off of, uh, doing some of my film work. And in between, and, and in that time, I've just been studying on my writing and, uh, and perfecting some of the screenplays that I have. So I have currently like five screenplays that I'm finishing up in different stages. Which, back, which 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 goes back to your point about survival, right? Surviving while you create, and so evidently you did commercial work, and so is, touch on that a little bit. Is that important for filmmakers to know that you know while you're creating, it's important to to work within the field? Is that a thing? Because some people say, you know, I'm not. I don't want to work for anybody else. I just want to create my own stuff, and you know, I'll starve. <laughs> Yeah, well, either you do that or you do that. You mean one, you know, something's going to give. You know, either you're going to work and feed your stuff or take care of your bills, or your bills are going to suffer. So you got to, you know, if you want to do your own stuff, then you better do it quickly and get it out. And, and you know, the thing about doing a film, it's, it's a year. It's a year process, and that's that's after you wrote, wrote the script. So after the script is written and you shoot it and you you, you edit it and distribute it and all the other stuff. And then you wait for your first quarter of the paycheck. You're looking at a year and a half before you see any money, and that's if that's if you make any money back. You know what I mean? So you you have to really have multiple lines. Being a being a filmmaker is being an entrepreneur. You have to have some grit. You have to have some hustle, and you have to be able to have a plan. And I have to say, I wasted a lot of time in my life um, thinking that. Um, you know, one example I have to say, I have, I have a script that I still have and I'm actually getting closer to being, to having it being shot, but I had this script and I had Idris Elba, um, ready to do it. He, he ready, he loved it, he wanted to do it, he talked a lot, and his manager and I was talking and he was talking to us and, but I couldn't get the money. I couldn't get the money up. And I just thought, hey, you know. I, in my mind, I just thought that, you know, um, I'm going to wait until I get this this film done and, you know, it's going to be all end all for me. And which it probably is or can be, but the problem is I wasted a lot of time just waiting. You know what I mean? I wasted a lot of time waiting. I wasted a lot of time thinking that certain things were going to happen when I realized that, uh, you know, even today, you know, you just got to get up and shoot some shit. I remember I met uh, Issa Rae, and I remember when that whole YouTube thing was going on. People were like, yeah, hey, you should do 
put your stuff on YouTube, man, and do it for free. I like, I am not spending all that time writing, directing, and putting my shit on YouTube for free. Oh, had I wished I had listened to them because I would have been in a different place right now. That's that's where she started, I, isn't it? She started. Yeah, I remember black I girl. Her, and yeah, I remember I met her when she was just starting out. I met her at uh, ABSF, um, like right when she was just she was just starting out, and uh, we talked. And um, you know, I I thought about it after I spoke to her, but I was like, ah, I, don't, I ain't doing that. I ain't doing it because I just thought it was for who. Um, I just turned my nose down. I just thought it was for people who um, who who was just starting out, who didn't know anything, and it was just like subpar. I didn't want it to be associated with that, and 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 and, and I wish and I wish I didn't do that because I wasted a lot of time. I could have been um, using it as a way of harnessing and perfecting my craft, and, and you know, getting my stuff out there, you know, which. Which now I'm going. I'm doing that now. I'm about to do that myself now. So now you know what I mean. I wasted. I wasted a lot of time. Mm. But you know, I have to say that I didn't waste it completely because I've been you know harnessing and working on my craft and learning. So it's not a complete waste. So you know, when I do start to put new stuff back out, it would be at a really at a at a bigger at a usual level than I would have to put out. So. I guess in essence, I didn't, I did and I didn't waste time, but I have to say you have to be proactive and you have to really have hustle and know that, uh, now, as it is now, when I first started, it was, it was competitive. Right now it is highly competitive because everybody believes they can freaking be in this business and it just ups the ante for competition. But it also, uh, there is an opportunity to do something because as you see, you go on Netflix and see a thousand and fucking one different shows and you only watch one or two. So there's still ample opportunity to put out good work and get recognized. And you know, every everybody with a phone is a content creator nowadays. Oh yeah, absolutely. So yeah, that, you know, to speak to your point about competition, um, you know, YouTube, Definitely has changed the game, but now you know you have Instagram and everybody else in there um, putting in their two cents in the game too. So it, we live in interesting times, definitely. You know, the, the, you mentioned Dope Fiend a couple of times. What is the premise of Dope Fiend? I know it's one of your uh, more gritty projects. Um, who's who star? Who's starring in it? Uh, what's the premise? Yeah, so Dope Fiend is a uh, it's a methodical. It's about uh, Three Warren families that live in uh, in Brooklyn, Brooklyn, New York, and they're going against each other. Uh, they have to they have to figure a way to live with each other or die. And and so what what really what it's about is about how people are all how people need to understand that the decisions and choices that they make affect themselves and everyone around them regardless if they're rich or poor. And it's about gentrification in, in Brooklyn and how it affects everyone. So it shows how some how these laws are being created to aid in these these uh these businessmen to displace people, how the people themselves are are, are actually helping their own demise by 
by doing drugs and not being aware of the laws and they're just being able to get themselves kicked out of their, uh, their, their, their apartments because of certain laws that have been enacted that are unjust and it's affecting the whole families. So it's kind of a social piece, but it's an action drama piece. Um, it has, we have Malik Yoba and Andre Fuller, Tobias Trevelyan, um, 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 Tariq, uh, Hashim Tariq. We have, uh, we have, uh, Mar Marquise Jackson. We have Duchess from Black Ink. Um, Betty Benson in there. Um, there's a lot of people in that film. I mean, when I wrote the script, you know, I intended it to be a small piece and it just, everyone wanted to be in it. And that's why so many names are in it. So everybody wants to be part of it because of the social issues that it touches upon. Sakina mm. so Deer which is a new talent that I, that I found out in Jamaica. She really was awesome. Ron, what are some of the challenges in producing your own films? No, oh, the number one challenge is money. You know, getting the proper budget up to being able to do it the way you want to do it and the way it should be done. And the other challenge is patience. That's been my biggest challenge, is having the patience to, uh, to know that it's ready to shoot. Uh, to know that the person that you picked for the role is the, is the right one. You know, patience is a, is a key factor in uh, indie filmmaking and preparation. I mean, with preparation goes to patience because you have to make sure that you know you're ready. So that's been one of my biggest problems that I've had has been impatient. Like, I write the script, say, okay, it's good, ready to go. Okay, that's enough money, let's go. Okay, that person's good enough, let's go. So I, I've learned... And I'm learning even more to be patient on everything that I do and to make sure that uh, it is right. Because the thing about film is once you shoot it, that's it, it lasts forever. You know what I'm saying? Hmm. So you have, to, you have to make sure that it is, it is the way we're watching uh, a couple of my films in, uh, with people in the theater or on TV. And I just see the mistakes, and I'm like, oh, man, I wish I'd have freaking been able to get around that or fix that. And so those are one, those are things that I, that I really want to make sure that when I put it out there and it's done, I can say, yeah, I'm feeling good about it. Hmm. Despite everything, you keep on going. Um, you're relentless. Who inspires you? My brother is my biggest my brother, if it wasn't for him, I wouldn't even be doing this anymore. I would have been gave up. <laughs> many, many days, I'm like, man, I am done with this. I was making more money as a salesman. I had a vacation. You know, I had benefits. I'm good. I could go back to that. And uh, don't have to worry about this. But, uh, you know, this business has been has its ups and downs. I'm I'm able to survive, pay my, pay my bills. Uh you know, make a living doing it. Um, I, you know, I definitely wish I could do more and do better for myself, but everyone does. But I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that I'm able to do what I love. So, and my brother has been um, the biggest person for me who's, who keeps, you know, pushing me to be better, pushing me to stay in it, and, you know, really, you know, if, you know, you know, mentally, financially, you know, emotionally, he's always been there 
to really help me uh, get get through this. And uh, and it's mostly it's not it's mostly a mental to an emotional state that um, we have to face in this world. And it, it took me a while to figure that out. It's not it's really not your finances that we have to battle against. It's really our confidence in ourselves and an emotional state. So if you really think about it, and it took me a while to really figure it out. really think about it, there's nothing that we, none of us can do that can't do uh, if we really focus on what it is that we want. And I realized that I know me personally, once I put my mind on something, it is happening, regardless of what it is. And I just, and I have to, and I, it took me a while to, to not be able to be fearful. And it took my brother, mainly my brother, to help me to um, battle some of these, these self-imposed demons that I put on myself. So I would say he's my biggest inspiration, personal inspiration. Like, as far as uh, inspirations in the film business or entertainment or in the world, um, there's quite a bit of people um, that inspire me to, uh, I have to say one of my favorite directors is, uh, um, Christopher Nolan. Mm. I really like his work. Um, his stories are really impeccable. Um, I really like his work. Um, one of the uh, other people, you know, I, I want, I, me personally, I would like to be, um, when I'm, when I, when I uh, transition from this world, I want to be able to say that I was, able to create a body of work that inspires somebody to change or have a different view on life. And that's that's my goal when I do my films. I'm not doing my films just to uh, say it was an action bang or, you know, was, you know, I'm looking to do films that have a life-changing effect on people, even if it's just one one scene. So that's, that's really my goal. And when I do what I do, indeed, indeed. So you said Nolan is your is your favorite director. Any anyone else or? Yeah, there's quite a bit of them out there. I mean, he's like my favorite one. Uh, one of my favorite ones. Um, I like uh, um, some of the older guys. I love uh, Akira Kurosawa. Um, I like uh, um, I like the cinematography Andre Tchaikovsky. Um, I like. Uh, I like um, Tarantino. I like his dialogue a lot. I really admire his dialogue. Um, I became a big fan of his after Django. Before that, I wasn't really a big fan of his, but I, I respected him. But uh, I definitely think he's one of the best dialogue writers uh, in this business. Um, I like, uh, I like um, what's his name? Oh, man, what's his name? Fincher. Mm-hmm. I like David Fincher. Um, as far as black, um, some of the, my, some of the black directors that I like a lot are, uh, Antoine Fuqua, I love him. Um, and I like the Hughes brothers too. Um, I like, uh, I like, I like Woody Allen's work, but I'm not a big fan of Woody Allen personally, <laughs> but I like his work. Um, <laughs> uh, <laughs> and who else do I like? Uh, I know I'm missing a lot of people. No, um, that's fine. I mean, I like uh, I like Hitchcock. 
Um, Good evening. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, it's kind of like, uh, who else do I like? It's not, I mean, I really like uh, mine. I'm I'm a kind of person that really enjoys um, very uh, things that are very thought-provoking. So very cerebral pieces. Yeah, I like that. I like something that's going to make me think, something that make me really try to figure it out. Because I'm, I'm, I'm always figuring out the story before it finishes. And there's only a few people that are unable, that I'm unable to do that. To mostly everyone, I can figure it out quickly. Um, but there are a few people who have really good plot twists. And um, their stories are, uh, are very well told. So... Um, there's another guy I like. Um, Dennis Venue, I like him too. Yeah, he's pretty good. Um, yeah. So, what what are, what are some of your favorite films? Wow, oh, man, that's too many. Bro. Give me your t- um, give me your top five <laughs> or top three. I can. Uh, I mean, I have to say, you know, I like. Uh, oh boy, that's a hard question, right here, man. I, I like. Uh, Internal Affairs, which was the original Departed, which was a Korean film. Mm-hmm. Um, I like that one. I like The Matrix One. Um, I like uh, Inception and Batman Begins. Uh, no, The Dark Knight. Um, I like uh, uh, Oh, uh, James Cameron is one of my favorite directors too. I like um, I like pretty much all of his films, James Cameron. Mm. Um, what's your what's your favorite film genre? Action thriller love. Action thriller comedy. love. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The combination of those three thriller those are those are the combinations that I really like. You know, thriller action, thriller love, or you know, thriller love stories, or even even action thriller. Um, those are the those are the ones I like a lot. Hmm. Um, Oh, I like I like a good detective story, but they're very hard to find any good detective stories. They're really, very, very hard to find. Any Almost seems something of the past, right? <laughs> yeah, they're very hard. Um, I mean, Knives Out was pretty good, um, but I don't can't can't really remember any really good detective stories that you really sit down and have a good time watching. So you're on an elevator, and a um, an eighteen year old filmmaker comes on and he meets Ron Elliott. By the time you get to the to the twelfth floor, uh you have that short amount of time to tell him the top three things he needs to do to become a successful filmmaker. What are those three things? Well I'll tell you the one thing I would I would make sure you, you understand is story. You know, if you want to be a filmmaker, filmmaker is about telling stories and you have to know the components of storytelling and it's a craft and it's very technical now a lot of people think <clears throat> that it's not a lot of people think oh I see a lot of movies and I can do it and, and a lot of the stories is a combination of this movie that movie and that movie put together and that is not how it works so that is my number one thing is is understanding the craft of story and storytelling the second thing would be is uh, confidence. Develop your confidence in and in, in the talent that you have 
and be very and be very secure in that. Um, that that will carry a lot. And the third thing would be persistence. Mm. So, learn to tell stories, be confident, and be persistent. Spo- yeah. Well said. Well said. What would you tell eighteen-year-old Ron Elliott? Yeah, I would say stay in the military and retire and then come out and do filmmaking. <laughs> That's what I would have said. Why, why would stay you... in the Air Force and come out and then become a filmmaker. That's what I would have said. Why do you say that? <laughs> I would have been retired right now. You know, I wouldn't have to worry about a lot of things would have been, uh, you know, I did like the military. I did like it a lot. Did you, where, where did you uh, serve in the military? I was in the Air Force. Ah. During during uh action? Well thank you for your service, of course. Uh but yeah. was it was it um during wartime? Yeah, I was in the war. Yeah, I was in the war. I was in the I was in the Gulf War. So that must have yielded some stories. <laughs> oh yeah, oh yeah, oh yeah. There was a lot of stories. <laughs> that was a lot of stories. Wow, so are we looking forward to a war story from Ron Elliott? Yeah, I do have a couple uh, that I want to write. Definitely. Looking forward to those. What's next? What's next for you um, in terms of project? Well, um, I have I have quite a bit actually lined up because of the COVID. I mean, prior to this COVID, I was supposed to shoot a uh, a crime thriller with a female lead. Uh, we were supposed to shoot that um, as a feature, um, and then I decided to rewrite it as a series. So I'm actually in my last rewrite of it this weekend, which I plan to be done with it. And then now uh, we're, we're going to be talking about, and then I'm going to jump on writing this part two to Dope Fiend. And then I also have uh, um, The Lost Book of Rap. I'm making that into an animation, um, which is, uh, I'm pitching that around now. Uh, and then, you know, I have... Uh, my other movies um, that I've been trying to do for the longest, I went back in and started doing some rewrites on it, which I plan to have those rewrites done um, after I finish uh, uh Fiend. I'm trying to jump on that. And then uh, I plan, uh, my goal was to get two films done this year. Uh, I don't know if that's possible because of COVID, but I know I'll at least I'll get one. Maybe I'll start on the next one. Maybe I'll be able to get two done. What's your, uh, what's your, ultimate goal like at the end of all this what is that one thing that you want to say yes i did that i would love to do what i would love to do what tyler terry has done i mean i've always wanted to do that and he got me he beat me to it i always wanted to own my own studio always wanted to own all of my own equipment put my own stuff out distribute my own stuff have my own people like what he's doing is exactly what I would want to do and have always wanted to do. And so that is uh, that is what I aim to do and, and working towards doing. Awesome. Awesome. Now, here's a, here, this is a section that I like to call The Planet is Yours. I will strap on my space to jump out in the other space and leave you, leave you on the planet alone to tell the people whatever it is you want to tell the people. The floor is yours. <laughs> well, First, I want to say thank you for uh, listening to me and taking time out of your day. And hopefully, you 
got some inspiration uh, and uh, some insight. And I'm looking forward to uh, seeing some of the stuff that you guys do. You, you know, I'm always available. Um, and I like to just impart one thing to people that, um, you know, this world is is all about perspective and all about how you see things. And it took me a little while to really understand that and see that, especially when you're like, you know, I've gone through some tribulations through life as we all have and all will um, growing up. But I realized that, um, um, one thing that, that happened to me that really almost took me out of this business was, uh, someone, well, I don't even, you know, I don't even say, it, but there was a thing that happened to me that really almost pretty much took me out of, um, doing film business, out of the film business. And it really rocked me to my core. And, uh, it, 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 it I learned a valuable lesson from that. And it was about, um, perspective it was about seeing what happened to me and not sit there and wallow in it and see how i could use it to my benefit and it was about seeing it in a different lens so i could get over it and move forward and once i was able to see it see what happened to me in a different light i was able to leave it and i was able to move forward because I, one thing I've, I've learned is that um, it's not what happens to you, it's what you do about it. And, you, you you know, you can sit there on the side of the road with a flat tire and cry and kick the tire. You're still on the side of the road. And at some point, you got to go inside, take out that spare tire, get your hands dirty, and jack up the car, and put on the new one, and get off and back on the road and don't see your destination. So, I mean, you have to always remember that and uh in this lifetime and in, in anything you do that uh you know it's about how you bounce back and you always are going to have uh, adversity no matter where you are in rich poor whatever it is uh happy sad you always have you always going to have that contrast and you just have to remember that that's what it is it's, it's not anything but a contrast as to where you're going and how you need to do this you got to take it as a learning lesson and that's that's one thing I would love. I wish I would have learned earlier on in life. Um, is that I think I knew it, but I didn't think I really applied it properly. And so now, um, that is one thing I would love for other people to understand and know that it's all about the way you see things. Indeed, indeed. How do we contact you? Uh, where can we see your films? Well, you can always reach me on social media. I am Ron Elliott, two L's, one T, on uh, on Instagram, Facebook, uh, Twitter. Um, you can Google me. I'm I'm YouTube. I'm all, all over the place. I am starting my own blog, uh, podcast, which is going to be going live, and that is going to be actually uh, the name of that podcast is called A Filmmaker's Journey to Netflix, and so. And that podcast, you guys can be able to follow me as I attempt to uh, film my next project as a, and, and pitch it and, and try to get it on Netflix. And, awesome. uh, and you'll be able to see if I'm successful or not successful. Um, you'll be able to learn from my mistakes, uh, learn from my uh, process, learn. You actually get to learn everything on how I do everything, uh, raising the money, getting the actors, filming it, preparation. So it's, it's a... It's kind of like a no whole bar 
uh, into filmmaking, and uh, it's all free. So you don't have to probably pay me anything. It's all free. Uh, I think that uh, my goal um, with that podcast is to really help um, impart some of the information that I learned along the way to uh, my fellow filmmakers, mainly mainly uh, the black male filmmakers in, uh, in this business that are trying to come up because I see there's not as much opportunity for, for them as it is for everyone else. And I, I just want to be able to, uh, uh, not saying that it's not open to anybody else, but I really want to be able to be inspiring and uh, being able to help them um, to move forward in their, in, in their endeavors in this business whatever information that I can uh, impart on them. Ron Elliott, I cannot thank you enough for joining me on the planet. Thank you, sir. I greatly appreciate the opportunity and uh, looking forward to uh, many more with you, buddy. For sure, for sure. I am Crispin Brooks, and this has been Planet 30. Thank you for listening to this episode of Planet 30. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at OnPlanet30. Like us on Facebook.com slash Planet30. Our email address is onplanet30 at gmail.com. That's O-N-P-L-A-N-E-T-T-H-I-R-T-Y at gmail.com. For more information about Planet 30, visit our website, planet30.com. That's P-L-A-N-E-T-T-H-I-R-T-Y dot com. I am Crispin Brooks, and this is Planet 30.